Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Live and Learn with Daniel Floyd. Hey, you like that new name? I love that new name. I love the progress that's being made on the podcast. Uh, If you haven't figured out, I'm your host, Daniel. For those of you that don't know me, I'm a teacher and a family man, just striving to be better every day through open-minded conversations. If this is your first time listening, thank you so much for joining us. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Today, you're going to hear a conversation that I had with my lovely wife, Shaleen. We are continuing to make progress through the book by Jordan Peterson, which is entitled 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. And we're going to discuss chapter three, which is extremely interesting. This is probably one of our favorite chapters that we've discussed so far. I know it's only the third one out of the 12, but we really, really enjoyed this one and honestly felt like it challenged us the most as individuals. Uh, Rule number three, which we'll get into once we start the episode, really discusses how we interact with other people and the best approach that we can take to help other people and raises the question, are there times when maybe we shouldn't help other people or maybe we should put boundaries in the ways that we help other people? So obviously I consider myself the type of person that wants to help others. Obviously I'm, I'm a teacher and so that's part of my disposition and Shalene as well definitely loves people and wants to help them. But this chapter that we discussed today really challenges that. So if you are listening to this episode and you are interested in helping people in any way, whether you are a parent with children, or maybe you're a teacher as well, or you're a leader, or maybe you're a coach with a team and you're trying to build your program and help young players get better, this episode is definitely for you. I think it's going to raise some very interesting questions and give us some stuff to reflect on as we go about our leadership. So I hope you enjoy this episode and really get something from it. I just want to thank everyone who is subscribed to the show for doing so. We really, really appreciate your support. And if you're not subscribed to the show, make sure you do so so that you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Also, if you find this episode helpful or interesting and you can think of someone else that might also benefit from listening to this conversation, go ahead and share it with them. We really want to spread these conversations and get people thinking critically about how we can all be better as individuals. And also, if you're interested, you're welcome to leave us feedback. Uh, You can write a review of the show. uh, You can find the email in the show notes, or you can reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm definitely active on those platforms talking about these topics, and I'd love to interact with you. Okay, thank you guys once again for tuning in. Let's get into the episode. Shaleen. Hello, my love. Thanks for coming back on the show. Yeet. Yet again. Um, I'm excited about the podcast right now. Yeah. We've got a lot of things moving and changing. Yeah. Uh, I changed up the description of the show. So if, you, if you're on your podcast app and you read the description of the show, it should be different than what it was previously, probably a month ago by the time this is airing. Yeah. But as of this recording, I've changed it like a week ago. Um. And there's a trailer for the show that's coming out. I don't know if it'll be up, uploaded by the time this episode is up. Yeah. Um, it's also related to me changing the name of the podcast. What? Dun, dun, dun. Build the suspense. Crazy. The anticipation is killing me. Which also comes. Tell me. Sorry. I'm telling you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, I did not anticipate that. I'll be quiet now. Uh. Anyway. All I was saying <laughs> is I'm changing the name of the podcast. So Two. it is no longer the KV pod. It is live and learn with Daniel Floyd. Wow. You really did tell me. I thought you were like not releasing that until it was like released. Yeah. I just decided to say it now. Ah. So well, here we are. Here we are. Yeah. So kind of uh, just a quick background on that is that we're starting to figure out and by we, I am starting to figure yes. out. Wow. The direction of... talk about it, but you're also... Yeah, sorry. I'm not trying to totally discredit you, but I'm the one who's like... Making the moves. Trying to, yeah, make it happen. Yeah. Um, You're doing great, by the way. Oh, thanks. Welcome. Um, 
trying to figure, or I'm starting to figure out the direction that I want the podcast to go. Mm. It's really centered around self-improvement and learning how to be a better human. And for me, primarily, that looks like being a better teacher and a better husband and eventually a better parent. Mm -hmm. And so those are probably the main topics that I'll be focusing on. I really, really want to have other teachers on the podcast talking about education. It's like teachers talking about teaching for other teachers to listen to. Cool. Which there are actually not that many podcasts um, that do that. Hmm. Um, There are some which I think are good, but a lot of them are someone getting on the show and then talking to you, the listener, about this thing that they're sharing with you. So it's kind of a lecture style. Sure, as opposed to like a conversation between you and another teacher. Exactly. And then there's other shows, podcasts, where teachers are talking to teachers just about like the culture and social life of teaching, which is also important. Sure. But it's not like two teachers sitting down and going like, okay, what's the purpose of education? Or like, what's the best way to teach reading and like, what's the best way to teach math? And like, should we have cell phones in the classroom? Like some more philosophical and intellectual conversations. Yeah, kind of. It's, it's, it's basically professional development as a conversation. Yes. So it doesn't have to be philosophical, but I would definitely love to go there because I love, that's what you are. I love talking about that stuff. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be that like, should we have cell phones in the classroom? I don't know if that's a, philosophical question Mm, i bet it goes there though sure it could um but it's it's tactical too of just like how do we do teaching well and so right so there's that and then obviously talking to you we are talking on the podcast um we're reading through a book and we're going to discuss another chapter here um but this is kind of falls under the category of like being a better person being a better husband being a better wife uh being a better mom and dad um and so yeah that's kind of the direction that I want to go with uh, the podcast and I'm really excited for it. I had like, well, I had, I have currently several teachers that I have reached out to and am planning on having on the show and ones that I have not reached out to yet, but all of the ones that I've reached out to (laughs) confirmed and said, yes, I'm going to do it. And then something came up and in with both of their situations, it did not happen when I thought it was going to happen. So I I like had all these teacher episodes ready to go and then they haven't happened yet. And that's not to say they won't happen in the future, but as it sits right now, I'm like, I'm like trying to get these teacher podcast uh, episodes to happen and they're not quite taking off yet. That's all right. In due season. It's also the beginning of a school year. So teachers, well, you know, you are one, but like it's a busy time. Not that any other part of the school year isn't a busy time, but right now is a little more of a pressure cooker. Yeah, it's more. It's it's arguably the most frantic time of the year. Yeah. Um. Sorry to if that makes a education sound bad or no. It's you know unorganized or whatever. But like it just kind of is. Is like change of season. Yeah, it's new new kids coming in. Oh, I learned uh, this morning. So we started our professional development meetings this morning. Um, the high school is the biggest that it's been in a long time. Oh, cool. So that's a good thing, but administratively and logistically it's, it's like crazy the freshman class is huge last year's freshman class is huge so they're sophomores now um and so everything's kind of bursting at the seams so that's kind of fun um i haven't noticed my classes being particularly huge but you know i'm not the whole school so sure so anyway cool mine well i was about to say mini and tiny at the same time mini update uh from my world as a day. Sorry, I didn't mean to huff that loud into the mic, but that just, it hit me what was happening and I, Sorry. that was my laugh. Sometimes there's two words that go through my head and they come out together and oh, uh, that happens. it's weird. Absolutely. Anyway, so yeah, uh, if you're listening to this and are interested in conversations about education and teaching, those are definitely coming down the pipeline. I'm trying to make them happen. Uh, it's just... I got to have other people's lives cooperate with me. So that's that's what's required <laughs> uh, when you want to have a conversation. Yeah. Uh, administration. Welcome, my love. You would know something about that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Your week going well? Y- yeah. Just a little update? Been a little busy? It's been a little busy. I tried to go back to work full time Monday. I did it. I did it too hard and broke myself a little bit. 
Uh, nice. So I, I also went back to work Tuesday then because Live and Learn with Shalene Floyd isn't a show in development yet. Uh, and and anyway, I went back to work Tuesday morning. Uh, that was good, but it was most good to be able to talk to my boss and be like, hey, I'm not okay. So I got to leave early Tuesday and actually have the day off today to like take some more space to just rest and like process and then instead of being full time all week every day um the rest of the week I'll finish out with some half days so that way I'm like able to be productive and like helpful and doing my job but also not pushing myself too far in a way that sets us back several steps yeah so it's been a good week but also like a very growth opportunity week I'll put it that way Way to frame that in a positive light. Thank you. Growth mindset. I'm yeah, I, I brought it up just because you've been you've taken a break from work, and so coming back is can be a lot sometimes, and so just a little. Yeah, so a we, lot. we'll unpack that more as we go go forward with the podcast. But yeah, I want to get into this book. Um, okay. We are making some good progress on this uh, Jordan Peterson book, Twelve Rules for Life: An Antidote to Chaos. I actually enjoyed this chapter, which I've enjoyed all of the chapters. But usually I finish and I'm like, oh, what just happened? They're heavy and dense. Okay, yes. They're great chapters. This but one. It's a I lot of like, mental work. I get it. Yay. And it was shorter. So we read it in one sitting as opposed to like fighting our way through it in like minimum two sittings or usually three because our brain is fried. Um, <laughs> so it was just so nice to just sit down. And this was just yesterday that we read through it because yeah. it was enjoyable. Yeah, this was a lighter chapter. So this is number three, rule number three. So this is rules for life, how to basically live a more meaningful life. Sure. Um, Rule number three is make friends with people who want the best for you. And so this was a very relationship-oriented... Which is my jam. Exactly. So it was, I don't know, more palatable for us, I guess, is one way to say it. Yeah. And so it was super fun. It was shorter too. But anyway, make friends with people who want the best for you. And so when you say it, it kind of sounds obvious, but I feel like this chapter took a different, went a different direction than I thought it was going to go. Of course, because it's Peterson and you read the rule and you're like, oh yeah, this is what I would talk about. And then you read Peterson and you're like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Did not know that that was tied. Fair enough. But I yeah, think that's so. why the whole book is kind of hard for me because I read the rule and I go, oh yeah, I get it. And then I start reading his chapter and I go, I did not get it. I don't get it. I'm not going to get it. Some, a little bit. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. But this one was better. So yes. Yeah. So when I hear the phrase, make friends with people who want the best for you, uh-huh. in my mind, I go, oh, as opposed to people who want the worst for me. Right. So basically that sounds like don't be friends with your enemies. And I go... Yeah, that makes sense. Why? That makes perfect sense. Eureka. Yeah. Yeah. But then we get into the chapter and actually the majority of it is actually him telling a story from his own personal life. Sure. Which is very interesting because he grew up in a tiny, tiny little town in Alberta, Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was called Fairview. Um, Yeah, Fairview, Alberta. And he was talking about like negative 40 degree Fahrenheit weather that they went through and stuff like that. I cannot imagine yeah, he's talking about like neighborhood cats getting frozen to the to the back steps. Yeah, well, and then yeah, I mean, warning for those of you who have a very soft heart, but I'm going to ask Daniel to tell a story from his childhood because oh, Peter bro. shared a similar one. Oh boy, that like Peterson. Peter. Oh yeah, I just said Peter, my boy. Peter, no. Anyway, anyway, like he cues it up saying that, yeah, cats get stuck to the back step, but then the even more dangerous place for them is if they happen to wander into the engine block of a car that's just been recently turned off because it's warm. But if they don't leave before the driver decides to leave, trouble happens. Pray tell, my love. <laughs> what trouble might he be referring to and uh, how that how may that tie to your personal life. Interesting. So quick story time, I guess. So, I love it. Please. Yeah. It's a good story. It's part of Floydness. It's part of Floyd mythology. We'll put it that way. Legend. Not legend. You're right. Mythology. That's a good word. <laughs> Floyd rhetoric. Storytelling. Rhetoric. Hmm. Narrative. Anyway. Um, so yeah. So Peterson in the chapter was talking about how cats will go into cars that are warm to find warmth and then the person comes back they turn on the car and the cat gets munchied yikes in the fan in the front of the car it's no bueno and i did not live in canada but i did live north of kirksville near a highway 
and my family moved there when I was in high school. And when we moved out of town, we started having cats, and we had a cat go munchy. And so it was kind of fun, kind of funny. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I had a cat named Jazz, and he was really cute and really fuzzy. He was black and white, and kind of patchy, and he was really sweet. And he was relatively young. He wasn't a super kitten. He was kind of in the middle. A super kitten? Sorry. Continue. He wasn't super on. You I know. know what I, mean. I know what you, you know mean. What I mean. I know. I'm sorry. Um, but he just disappeared one day, and oh, it's like, no. where did Jazz go? A little, oh, no. little Jazzy. Oh, no. Oh, boy. TikTok sounds. I can't Um, help it. I'm trying to get through the story. Shutting up. Got it. He disappeared. And so we were like, oh, no, where did he go? And so just like, you know, we're out on 90 acres, so he could be around and he just might be going for a walk. A really long walk. (laughs) (laughs) And so we just, he never really turned up. And then we're at uh, a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant in town, and there's all these flies flying around the front of the car when we like go into the right and we're like hmm that's weird and we come back out and we're like hmm that's weird and then as we were getting back into the car after dinner it occurred to me like wait a second oh no i know what's happening here cat is missing plus flies around the car plus the car's air conditioner is not working oh no equals i wonder where jazz is and so we drive home and sure enough Poor little Jazzy had accidentally gotten smooshed in the oh, front of the car. No. <laughs> and kind of. Oh, some ch- of our listeners might hate us now. Sorry about that. But anyway, that is a famous story. And yes, I did have to pull out my poor little deceased cat oh, no. from the depths and the pits of the Yukon Denali Chevy car we had, whatever it's called. Trigger warning. Uh, and I pulled him out and I buried him and we played a little song and had a funeral. No, I'm kidding. Um, oh, I was like, whoa, I haven't heard this part of the story. No, what song did you play? No, we, oh. but we buried him. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so uh, all that to say, I relate to Peterson. <laughs> Good <laughs> story, bro. Cat's getting smushed in the car. But, but anyway. that's so not the point of this chapter. It's just a personal connection point that we had. Yeah, so it was just kind of funny. But Peterson's point is saying that like he grew up in this tiny town. It's there's not a lot of resources around. Yeah. There's not a lot of things to do, and there's plenty of opportunity to just kind of be uh no what's the term a floater like a delinquent. floater yeah a delinquent yeah of like people just having parties there's nothing to do yeah so we just drink alcohol we smoke pot we just do all this stuff and your life just doesn't really go anywhere yeah but his life ended up going somewhere he right. went to university he has multiple degrees he's now a you know prolific author and speaker and is like doing great things and then he tells a story of friends that he had mm-hmm. that grew up in the same environment. With the same intelligence. Same intelligence. Like high intelligence, yeah. And nothing terribly indicative with their personality or mental health that would maybe put them on a different path. Yeah. But for whatever reason, didn't rise up from the less than ideal situation that they grew up in mm-hmm. like Peterson did. Mm-hmm. And so Peterson is raising this question of like, why do some people rise from troubling or difficult circumstances and other people seem to just stay there? Mm-hmm. And he kind of gets into the discussion of like, well, it can be easy and it can seem very noble of us to be like, well, it's the circumstances they grew up in a poor, in a bad family. Maybe they were abused. They didn't have educational resources or opportunities. They didn't have career opportunities. They had the wrong friends. There's all of these environmental factors that cause these people to be, um, I don't know, downcast and, and unsuccessful chronically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what explains it. And if they could just have a better environmental situation, then they would do better. Mm-hmm. But Peterson challenges that and goes like, well, that's not necessarily true. There's several examples of people having opportunity and having relationships and friends of, of people that want to pull them up and they still don't do better. And then he he talks about Dostoevsky um, and I don't even know the man who was like trying to help the, the woman. The and, underground man. Yeah, the underground man. And like, I'm going to I'm going to help her and I'm going to like make her better. And it just and he ends up becoming worse instead of making her better. 
And so uh, I don't know. I'm not necessarily going to try to prove this right now, but basically yeah. he's saying like the, the psychological evidence and literature and stories and his personal experience, all of these things tend to point to a reality where there's maybe more personal choice right at play than just someone's environment that determines where they end up in life which if if you're familiar with P- peterson and his work at all he's very pro personal responsibility yes so literally the rule being like make friends with those who want the best for you he comes back around and says that is your responsibility to pull people into your life who are going to tell you the hard things and are going to require work of you like cuz in Kind of, if I were to summarize the chapter, he's saying like people who are on the bottom, sometimes they need help up from the bottom, but really before you go to help them, you should ask them if they really want help. Like you should be asking questions because he says something that's kind of shocking and not nice to hear. Um, but the fact is that some people don't want to be helped. They don't actually, they just want to be enabled and they don't want to put in the work to actually have their life change. Um, wow. And that's that's a hard pill to swallow. And it really made me think of part of my job at the church is we offer assistance, community assistance hmm. for people in rough spots. Like if um, their water gets shut off or their utilities or if they they for some reason are kicked out of their house or are homeless um, and don't have a place to stay, we might be able to help with a night or something. So like small things that we can do. Um, But I thought of this because sometimes like you, sadly, you learn the repeat customers Hmm. and we have to have procedures in place where we can only help you. So every so often to help it just not be this whole Because if you don't put limits on it, then there's no end to the resources that could be drained. What is actually helpful and what is enabling? And a big part of that is what are they actually wanting? Are they actually wanting help and to change? And like they're in that spot where they are putting the work in Mm -hmm. to like have a different life. Yeah. Or are they not? They're just looking for handouts. Yeah. And that's like a really yucky, ugly part of life. I don't like to look at. Yeah. Um, and actually it cracks me up because something that I always struggle with in that situation is like, well, like Jesus helped people. Jesus gave people stuff and I'm still Yeah, He spent with time this. with tax collectors yeah, and prostitutes. And, and, and like, he like did the things and yeah. helped the unhelpable quote. And it cracked me up because Peterson directly addresses that in this chapter and I'm reading it. It says, Uh, Okay, quote, but Christ himself, you might object, befriended tax collectors and prostitutes. How dare I cast aspersions on the motives of those who are trying to help? But Christ was the archetypal perfect man. And you're you. And I just started laughing out loud because it's like, but I even I laughed out loud because obviously Christ was perfect, so he could figure all of that out. But then I also, it still leaves a question in me, because as a follower of Christ, God is promising that he is making me more and more like his son. Like, that is that is what I want, like the glory of Christ. And part of the glory of Christ is like oh, being obedient, taking up my cross, and becoming more like Christ. Um, and so, I don't know, there's still a whole battle of like how to best help people, but I thought it was interesting that he was just talking about that you really, you really have to be asking questions of people. You can't just be walking around because you can get, a, he was talking about like, you can get a narcissistic outlook where you're like, well, check me out. Like I helped this person and aren't they just so pitiful and they needed my help. Like it can get so twisted so quickly. Um, so I think a more right perspective is to ask questions and to see what actually helping looks like and maybe quote withholding help quote until they're ready or really want to change. right which is like a difficult thing at least for me i'm not good at that like well because you're a very empathetic helper type of person yeah boundaries are something that i discovered exist in that language in college relationship boundaries. Yeah. I didn't know those were a thing. I didn't know those existed. Interesting. Yeah. No, nope. And so, I mean, I, I was fairly healthy, but wow, my brain has been blown 
and like my world rocked since then. And I'm still walking that out, like figuring out what that looks like in relationships with people and what that looks like as a follower of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's interesting. So I'm not going to try to relay all of these, but Peterson gives several possibilities of why someone could be at the bottom, so to speak, hmm. unsuccessful in life, psychological reasons for what's going on in their mind of why they oh, would yeah. be there. I forgot he talked about this. Go ahead. Um, and I'm not, so you'll have to read them, but just, but the point being like, yeah, there, there are several reasons why someone could be chronically in need or unsuccessful. Sure. Um, in so many ways. Um, yeah. And then there's also, how do you know that you trying to help them is a truly pure motive? So right. I'm kind of recapping what you just said, but Thank he's you. giving several possibilities. Peterson is giving several possibilities of like, are you trying to help to really help? Or are you just trying to make yourself feel good? Or are you just trying to, um, I don't know, make some other point that's deep down inside? And- well, one that he mentioned is like, if you're not careful, you help someone and they become your little project Sure. so that in relation to them, in comparison to them, you're really not that bad. And so you don't have to work on yourself. Oh yeah. That's a good one of like, yeah, maybe you're doing, you hang out with people that don't challenge you because then you don't have to be challenged. Right. Because in comparison, you're doing pretty good. Whereas if you have friends who want the best for you, they are striving for excellence and, and that inherently pushes you. And Jesus, this makes me think, okay, so in our personal lives, I want friends who are personally seeking Jesus wholeheartedly hmm. and who are going to, in friendship with me, ask the hard questions and push me to seek Jesus with them. And that requires that I be a, quote, better person. Hmm. Whereas if I just had a friend that was like, yeah, Jesus is cool. I go to church sometimes, but you know, sometimes you just really got to sleep in and then it starts happening every week actually. And you know, it's cool. Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh, well I go to church every Sunday, so I don't have anything else I need to work on. Yeah. That's like not like even in the Christian community, you can have relationships that are not healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. No, it, it plays out everywhere. There were some interesting connections that I was able to draw yeah. From this chapter Let to my personal experience. Mm-hmm. So one of those biggest ones is how this connects to 12-step programs. Oh, yeah. So I help lead a 12-step program through our church. Yeah. And, and you helped. Um, celebrate Recovery. Yeah, Celebrate Recovery. It's a biblically-based um, 12-step program. Mm-hmm. And so it's super cool that we have one here in our hometown and that our church is, is able to put that on. But one of the fundamental aspects of 12-step programs is this idea of a sponsor. Mm -hmm. So a sponsor is basically a personal, it's like a personal trainer Mm -hmm. to help you through your recovery from addiction. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm an alcoholic and I join Celebrate Recovery because I want to get my life right and I want to beat my addiction from alcoholism. Eventually, as I'm working the 12 steps, I get a sponsor, which is someone that I am personally accountable to, Mm -hmm. and they have the right to challenge me, Mm -hmm. to recommend, hey, maybe you should change this habit, Mm -hmm. or maybe you shouldn't do this thing. And it's it's basically like a personal trainer who's there to help you and kind of coach you through life. And so the interesting thing that I thought connected to this chapter is that in Celebrate Recovery, the sponsee... Mm-hmm. is responsible for seeking out a sponsor. Right. Not the other way around. Right. So if you are an alcoholic, you are responsible for going and asking someone, hey, will you please sponsor me Yeah. and be like a friend to me and mm-hmm. like a mentor to me to help me? As opposed to the leaders in CR going around and being like, hey, you look like you can use some help. Can I be your sponsor? Right. That never happens. Well, because it's the whole thing of like, you got to own your recovery. Yeah. Like you got to own it. You got to work it. Like, right. That's. And, and my mm-hmm. personal experience and, you know, Peterson alludes to psychological research and it's like, it doesn't work if you try to just go save people. No. Like, oh, I see you came into this meeting and you're like curious about this 12 step program. Like I'm going to reach out and try to be your sponsor. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work that way. And then even furthermore, when you are in a sponsor sponsee relationship, mm-hmm. 
um, uh, one important aspect of that relationship is that there is regular communication between those two people mm-hmm. of checking in of like, Hey, how you're doing, how are you doing? Um, are you working the steps? You know, we're doing these lessons as a group. Are you doing your questions? Like checking in. Um, but really, and so I'm a sponsor for some people and, and, and I'm helping lead this 12 step program. What's interesting is that in the training that I've received about this, it specifically says that in the course of that relationship, the sponsee is supposed to regularly reach out to the sponsor and communicate with them. Right. So even once I start sponsoring someone, it's still on them. It's still on them to then say, Hey, here's how I'm doing this week. Check and checking in and and being like, or maybe like, Hey, I'm really struggling with temptation and I just really want to give in and go back. You know, it's like, they're the one reaching out. And that's not to say I never check in sure. on my sponsees. That's not to say I never ask hard questions that they're not asking for. But the point is, is that the majority of the relationship should be the sponsee reaching up mm-hmm. and me reaching my hand out and doing what I can to help them mm-hmm. as opposed to them kind of just being limp and me trying to drag them along. Yeah, that wouldn't work at all. Yeah. And 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 I've just noticed this even in my personal experience with which I've sponsored several people at this point, the difference that I see in people who are putting in the proactive work versus those who aren't as much yeah, is really what's determining the success of their recovery. Yeah. Is how much, it's not how much I care want about them, them and love better. them. Yeah, yeah. It's not how much I want it for them, which I do. It's how much they want it. But what actually determines the outcome is how much they want it, which is very interesting. And so- Makes- yeah. It makes sense as harsh as that is. It's hard. It's so hard for me. Yeah. And uh, this, if I can keep going, um, sure. this also touches on like me being a teacher. Mm, okay. You know, there's this idea that teachers can be a life changing relationship to students. Yeah. Which is true. Sure. It's completely true. Some students have terrible home lives. Mm. It's very toxic. It's not emotionally healthy. Sometimes it's not physically healthy. They may or may not have food. And, you know, I'm not describing every child at school, but there are some kids that legitimately have really rough home lives. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of stories where the best thing for that student was a teacher that was metaphorically giving them a hand to grab onto so that they could pull them to a higher place. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's this, there's this idea that teachers can kind of get, I don't know, kind of a savior complex of like, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be the best teacher and I'm going to love all my students so much. And I'm just going to like teach, I'm not going to teach them information. I'm going to teach from my heart. And, you know, it's like it, I'm, I'm kind of mocking this, but I mean, this is kind of my attitude toward it. It's kind of like, I don't want to just teach information. Like I actually want to make your life as a young person better yeah. as yeah. a result of being in my class. But at the same time, as much as I want to help my students and, and teach them about life and make them better people and, and contribute in such a positive way, I don't know, this this idea that they have to want it also applies. So if I have a student, are you bothered by? I am bothered by how much cord. your cord is knocking on your microphone. I'm oh, sorry. Okay, I'll hold it back. Okay. Um, I didn't mean to derail you. I apologize. It's okay. Um, all I was saying is that, um, as much as I want it for my students, if they are say misbehaving or continually getting in trouble or not getting good grades or, you know, not doing, turning in their homework, like whatever issue that it could be, um, me wanting it for them doesn't change anything. I, I have to think of it as I'm available for the students that want yeah. My input or my help or whatever. But if they don't want it, it's kind of futile for me to expend lots and lots of energy and yeah. emotion trying to reach someone who doesn't want to be reached. Right. Which that's difficult because like on two fronts, I think it's hard because it hurts me for others. Yeah. Like, but it's also, I don't know if, I guess it's not hard, but it's, it's actually very, very healthy for for us to be able to realize that you're not the savior, like to get rid of the savior complex. Right. And God has specifically talked to me about this, about like, um, excuse me, who is the savior here? (laughs) You know? Right. Yeah. And that like takes the pressure off. 
Like I feel sad for other people, but sometimes I feel guilty that I actually feel better. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like yeah. it's double sided mm-hmm. where I feel bad that I'm not helping them, but I also feel bad that I feel healthy mm-hmm. not helping them. Yeah. Because I'm putting it on them. I'm like, it's your responsibility. Like yeah. I am here. I am here. But then it's so sad when they don't take you up on it. And then sometimes like I still work through feeling guilty then because I feel okay when they're obviously like not okay, Yeah. but they won't do anything about it. Right. So it's kind of, I'm, it's I'm rough. Th- I'm thinking of it, uh, an example of like when a, when a chick is trying to break its way out of the egg and yeah. hatch the egg, Yeah. it's like, you could say like, oh, I'm such a loving, I don't know, mother hen or person. And I'm going to like help the chick get out of the egg yeah, not by good. cracking it open for them. Nope. And I think we all, if I understand my science correctly, um, that actually is doing the chick a disservice yeah. because going through the process of breaking out of the egg is actually like makes them strong enough makes to survive. Str- yeah, exactly. And so if I yeah. do that for them, they die. Um, yeah, it doesn't help them. And then how much more, let's say we're just to push the analogy further. Okay. Let's say there's a chick in the egg who doesn't want to get out of the egg. It's like, they don't want to get out. But I'm outside the egg like, you got to get out. There's so much more life for you. You know, there's a better situation for you. And like me trying to like crack it open and pull them out. It's like, are they suddenly just going to be like, wow, like I'm, I'm totally ready to handle life now. And I've had a change of mind. Yeah, that might be a good analogy because I think what would actually happen in the natural is they would die immediately. Yeah. If you just like pull them out of the egg. I don't know. I've never tried that. I don't want to, but... Yeah, the analogy kind of breaks down because I don't think chicks like consciously go, I want to get out of this. It's like instinct because it's nature. I don't know. If, I don't know if there's chicks that don't want to get out. I'd have to look that up. They're probably already dead if they don't want to get out, which just makes my point even more. Wow. Right. A lot of dead animals in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> but just good. makes my point of like, I don't think there's chicks that are alive and then consciously go, I don't want to get out. Like do chicks have consciousness? Exactly. But <laughs> Sorry. That aside, people do too. Uh, I have another connection. Sorry, I just have all these connections. No, I love your notes. I'm listening and I haven't heard them. And so it keeps my life spicy. Yeah. Keep going. (laughs) Keeps it interesting. Um, Another thing that I thought was an interesting connection to this Peterson chapter was another book I was reading. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I just finished. Which I need to read it now. Okay. I just finished this other book called Dopamine Nation. Uh, I don't remember what the subtitle is. It's on the spine, babe. Is it should be. Nope. I lied. Anyway, basically it's like, uh, the book is talking about, um, how we live in a culture of overindulgence. We have food, we have social media, we have movies, we have air conditioning, everything is convenient. And when you live in a world where everything is pleasurable and overabundant, you actually, uh, become unhealthy yeah. psychologically and physically. Mm. So the book is basically just talking about how to live a more balanced life. Mm. And at the end of the book, when it's talking about how to overcome addiction and overcome overindulgence in our lives. So you don't have to be addicted to something to have to be overindulging. Sure. And so if you're trying to overcome overindulgence, um, there are some like, okay, she talks about Alcoholics Anonymous, 12 step programs. Yeah. And one thing that she was talking about in that book is how strict they are mm-hmm. and how it's like when you're in this group, we have a certain way of doing things. This is how the meetings are run. This mm-hmm. is how your relationship with your sponsor goes. If you do this, you have broken a rule and we have to address that. It's not like they publicly humiliate you or kick you out, but they address it. Yeah. And it's very strict. And Again, it was like, geez, this seems really harsh for a group that is trying to help people. Why would you make it so strict on people who are struggling? Mm. It seems like a paradox. Yeah. Keep going. As opposed to, or or she was talking about churches. Like there are certain religious organizations that have very strict rules of like, this is how you dress. This is where you sit. No, no, no. All these things. And it's like, it doesn't seem very inclusive. If you're trying to help people, why wouldn't you open it up to anyone who wants to be there? Sure. But what she talks about is how this has been studied. And actually what happens is that when you open up the doors and let anyone come in with any motive and any intention and let anything go, the group falls apart because inevitably you get 
moochers and freeloaders, as she says. Yeah. And you get people that are part of the group, but don't contribute to the group. Yeah. So whether that's Alcoholics Anonymous or church or a country club or I don't know, school, whatever. If you have people that are there, but not contributing like everyone else, Mm -hmm. it disproportionately drags the group down. Yeah. Which Peterson actually also talks about. Yeah, I can't remember exactly where that is, but yeah, yeah. So, so not only does this apply to individual relationships, it mm-hmm. kind of applies to group society d- dynamics as well. Yeah. And the connection I had was like in sports. And so like, let's say um, like I'm a coach and I want to make a soccer program in a town that doesn't have any soccer. You know, it's like, I want soccer to happen. You could kind of take the approach of like, we're going to let anyone join Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're good at soccer or if you're athletic or you're not like anyone can come to these soccer practices and we're just going to like grow the program by being as open and inclusive as possible. More people will be involved and more people will know about it and more people like it sounds good. Sounds reasonable to me. Yeah. Yeah. But then what ends up happening is you get all these people that show up and then if I'll just say if if you're interested in having a quality soccer team, right, then you don't have that if you are super inclusive, right? Because you get people who maybe are super interested and love soccer and are like going to contribute. They're going to give a hundred percent at practice. They're going to cheer on their teammates. They're going to be a great participant. Sure. Then you get people who are there of like, man, eh, like I don't know, soccer's fun. I just like to run around and like we get free snacks at the end of the game, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then you get people there that maybe are just like, I'm here because my mom said I had to come and I don't really want to be here. And so I'm just going to pout and I don't really want to do the drills or play. I'm just going to whatever. And, you know, it's more entertaining for me to like, cause havoc with the other teammates and maybe start some drama or whatever. It's like you get the full spectrum of people. And, and the point with this group dynamic situation is that it only takes one or two kids Mm -hmm. like in a soccer team to have a bad attitude to make the whole team to drag the whole team down. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's interesting how, if you want actual quality and you want something to grow, whether that's an individual, like I want to help this individual, or you want a group to grow and really go somewhere, there has to be some level of exclusivity mm. and standards of behavior, standards of membership yeah, kind of thing where it's like you have to, you have to draw a line somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that was interesting in the dopamine book is she was saying that based on the research, the, the groups that have very strict maybe not strict, defined um, guidelines guidelines for conduct and who can join and, and ha- yeah. how are we going to behave. And if, standard. You, if you want to be in the group, then these are the expectations. The groups that have very well-defined expectations are the ones that actually grow and survive. Right. Well, it's the same thing. I've read similar things with just like leadership and even specifically in ministry, like leadership and ministry, like you need to have vision and you need to have expectations and like obviously – especially in that situation, like just in general, we should be praying about these things in our lives. But especially if you're going to be a leader in a church, you should pray. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, like just they, that good leadership means vision and expectation and clearly defined mission and values. Yeah. That is like step one. And if you don't have that, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, this this has just very interesting implications for anyone in any type of leadership. So whether yeah. you're leading a church yes. and you're like, what are our policies? Or maybe you're a principal or a teacher and it's like, yep. what are the policies in our school? Maybe you're a coach mm-hmm. with a team and it's like, well, I don't want to like cut anyone and say you can't play soccer. Well, but in doing that, you might be undercutting the quality of your program. I and I'm wondering, because such a huge thing, sorry, this is where my brain's going, so we're just going to follow the trail and see where it goes. <laughs> um, it's such a huge thing in our culture now with the whole diversity and inclusion. And that's a different thing altogether, just by definition. Okay. But I feel like... There's something in our culture now that's just like, no, like everyone should be included in everything. Like, how dare you say you can't do this thing or or set guidelines on that? And I thankfully, I think we're still within reason where if it's a soccer team, you can say, hey, if you can't kick the ball, you can't 
be like, you know, it well, depends on the team. Right. So sure. if it's a high school team, that's competitive. But maybe if it's a community recreational team. Right. There's places for that. Will they kick you out? I'm just know. wondering because Dopamine Nation is talking about overindulgence and how that's harming us. I'm curious how that ties socially how are we socially overindulging? And is that even a thing? You know what I mean? Like I see that tie there, but I do not at all. I'm not saying that, oh, that's a thing. I'm I'm asking, is that a thing? Are you connecting it to like this idea of inclusivity? Like, yeah. Kind of. You like, might, I feel like you're just saying the same thing with a different word. When, if you're just saying over, being overly inclusive is just another form of overindulgence. Yes. Seems legit. I feel like you're just changing the words. Yeah. Or are you asking, okay. like, does it affect our dopamine? No, I'm wondering if brains? it's a bad thing. Yeah, I think that's what we're saying. Okay. But I'm tying it to, like, how our culture portrays all inclusivity right now as a good thing, as the thing. Yeah. And, like, that's not true. Uh, I think you just have to define like included in what got it. Like, yeah, are, is, I don't know if our culture is saying like everyone should play soccer like, or that, but right. Um, yeah, I think you'd have to define what we're being included into. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Anyway, that's why I said we're going to follow that path, see where it goes. Cause it might not go anywhere. <laughs> I don't know. My brain just makes all these connections and I'm like, Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So there's that. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. It sounds so harsh to not want to help everyone and not want to reach out and be a hand that lifts someone up to a higher place. But, uh, it's just interesting that when you kind of look at the ugly reality of, well, reaching down or trying to grow something or develop someone or assist them doesn't always play out unless they want to be helped. Yeah. And so that's well, it's just, and it has all these implications again for all these different areas of life. Another thing that zinged me was he moves into a section in the chapter Peterson about a reciprocal arrangement. And he says, quote, here's something to consider. If you have a friend whose friendship you wouldn't recommend to your sister or your father or your son, why would you have such a friend for yourself? And I was like, ooh, because I think sometimes I'm tempted by that because I'm like, well, I can help them. Like, I can love them well. I mm. can make them, I can help them be better. Yeah. And that just really zinged me because I was like, ooh, are there people that I would recommend to other people? Mm -hmm. I think, yes, most of my, absolutely, most of my friendships, and that's something I love to do is recommend my friends to my other friends and be like, you should all be friends because you're amazing. Like, that's really fun. <laughs> um, but it just made me think about, about relationships and like, wow, that, hmm, that slaps. <laughs> yeah. That slaps. Shalene with the lingo. <laughs> Is that what that means? No, it's not what it means. I know, but, but it you said it, it yesterday, kind of in that same context. I was, yeah, I was. Were you just I being actually, literally hilarious while using a slang word? I was misusing a, a slang word Okay, on all right. Sorry. And you did actually, it now that I remember, I said exactly what you just said. Thank you, because I was like, that's not what slaps means, but he's <laughs> laughing at himself right now, so apparently it's appropriate. Sorry. It's all right. My bad. As long as we aren't making fun of me when I just copy what you do, okay? No, it's all good. But anyway, so I thought it was great. I think I don't know. There's some other ideas in the chapter that we can get into, but I think, I don't know. I'm good to leave it there. I yeah. No, I think that's good. I'm looking to see if there's anything else. No, I think it's all good. But Solid. If you're listening to this, so I'm talking to the listeners now, and you disagree with this idea of that we shouldn't try to help everyone. I would be curious to hear your thoughts. So you should definitely email. I think the email's in the show notes um, or I don't know, message me on Twitter or Instagram. But yeah, I'd be curious to hear what you think about this is like, is there a line to draw with helping someone? Or maybe what are some of the criteria that you would think should be used in order to determine whether you should help someone and in what context? And I would like to ask uh, if maybe you're someone who's, like 
figured this out in your own life, maybe not fully, you know, nobody's perfect, but like if you've wrestled with this and you found good resources, especially, yeah, just like pass those on. Cause this is something that I'm still very much wanting to have conversations about and like read books about and like search scripture about to really find the heart of God in it. Um, so yeah, if you're in leadership somewhere and you've really looked into this and you know of resources, please send them our way because I would be super thankful personally. Yeah. I, th- I would imagine one resource that you would definitely suggest, Shalene, is the book Boundaries. Yeah. Is that by Henry Cloud? Yeah. Henry Cloud. Dr. And, Henry Cloud. And then Town, I think. Oh. oh, yeah, yeah. Cloud and Town. Nice. Townsend. Something like that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But that book is talking about relationship boundaries. Yeah, it's really good. Basically addressing like, or one of the things it addresses is like, you can't help everyone and you need to like have personal boundaries where you don't. Have you read it? No, I just know about it. Okay. It's really good. <laughs> I need to reread it. It's the one that I read in college that blew my mind. Um, And actually, as I was reading it, I was like, okay, cool book. Nice. Like, okay. And then... Uh, I lived it the next four years and was like, oh my goodness, my eyes are open. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. It was the most impactful book that was the most unimpactful as I read it. That's funny. Does that make sense? Like it was so weird. I was reading it and was like, yeah, okay, cool. And then after, like after I finished it every single time I turned around, it was like truth. And I was like, truth. Yeah. You might even say it slaps. <laughs> That's the proper usage. No, it's not. No, it's still not. no? Slap. It does slap. It means it's good, right? <laughs> like food that slaps. Okay. I know. But Can a book not uh, that's slap? That's correct. No, it can, but that just means it's a good book. Sorry, we're it such nerds. It is a good book. So it slaps in that sense, but then it also slaps in the like literal I'm going to slap you sense. Right. That's a, the joke. Yeah. Is that why the slang is slaps? I don't know. It just slaps you. I don't know. Everyone's turning off the podcast right now. Uh, It just hits you hard with truth. Hey, the, oh, we missed the call from the car shop. We need to uh, wrap this up. (laughs) And go get our car. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. It's done at the shop. I think we're done discussing it anyway. But yeah, I think this was super interesting. Um, Yeah, if you're listening to this, let us know your thoughts. Um, We definitely want to get different perspectives and uh, continue discussing this. Yeah. Thanks anyway. for thanks for listening to us, friends, and for letting us nerd out. Not that you necessarily have a choice. But anyway. Cool. We appreciate you using your time to be with us and live and learn with Daniel Floyd. Wow. Absolutely. Great. Well, have a great day, everyone. Adios. Adios.